0: welcome back to the david glenn show good time for calls we are in between guests nc state coach kevin keats dropped by earlier he partied with the fans near the bell tower after helping the wolfpack beat duke 88 to 66. john in winston-salem wants to know if this is a good result for the acc and if you're john swafford the acc commissioner where you're one of these athletic directors who's not involved in the game between the Wolfpack and the Blue Devils, what's always better for the league? More NCAA tournament bids. That translates literally into millions of dollars. Every bid matters that much, and every victory almost matters that much, the way the NCAA money distribution works in March Madness. So, of course, four is better than three, five is better than four. This is going to be a down year for the ACC. They have averaged eight NCAA tournament bids over the last four years. They are gu- they're guaranteed of three, right? Duke, Louisville, Florida State. Virginia looks good as a number four. And now the Wolfpack looks better as a possible number five, but there's still work to do for both the Cavaliers and the Wolfpack. State gets another great opportunity at a resume builder with number eight Florida State coming to Raleigh on Saturday afternoon. 1-800-849-2761. The new NFL collective bargaining agreement may be on the way. Expanded regular season, expanded playoffs. We talked about that with Jonathan Jones. One more guest later, ECU's athletic director, John Gilbert, is going to drop by. You all remember Matthew McConaughey playing the Marshall football coach in the great sports movie, We Are Marshall? Well, that movie commemorates tragedy, in a sense. It was the Marshall Charter jet returning from a game against ECU here in North Carolina that crashed. It is the 50-year anniversary of that game, and Marshall and ECU recently asked the NCAA for a special waiver to allow them to play this 50-year anniversary game at a special place on the calendar. The NCAA, not exactly great at bending and giving exemptions in the right ways, did grant this waiver. ECU is excited. It gets to host Marshall in late August rather than when everybody else is playing a college football game. Right there on that September 5th weekend, which would be your week one with hundreds of games all over college football. Instead, the Pirates and the Thundering Herd will get their honorarian, honorarium game, if you will, in a national TV spotlight and with a whole lot of other celebration and festivities around that moment. one 800 Great guest later. Your calls now. Matt is in Greensboro and has the Wolfpack's victory over the Blue Devils on his mind. What's what's going on, Matt? Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, DG. Uh, yeah, happy, you know, really impressive uh, game last night. And I was most impressed there in the second half where Duke kind of made a little run and got it, you know, to 10 or 11. Uh, they, they really, you know, put pressure back on and then expanded that lead. Agree. Really never, never yeah. Look back from there. So, uh, you know, that, that's something that
0: <laughs> the team is trying Hey, man, to. and that's what Coach K talks sometimes when the Blue Devils lose. He says, we lost to an older, more experienced team. I don't think he used that phrase last night, but he used it after losing to Stephen F. Austin. He used it after the Devils lost at Clemson. And, of course, last night the the description would fit, It was senior Markel Johnson and fourth-year junior Devin Daniels and junior college transfer DJ Funderburg. These guys were all third, fourth, fifth-year college basketball players, and those were the big three for NC State. So it kind of continued a theme for a young Duke team falling at the hands of an experienced opponent. Uh, So what is kind of one of the strengths of the Wolfpack is one of the weaknesses of the Blue Devils. doesn't mean Duke can't overcome it. Uh, they're talented young players, but when you have four of your top six true freshmen, uh, credit them for fighting back. But yes, the experienced team usually finds a way to counterattack, and that's exactly what the Wolfpack did with Johnson and Daniels and Funderburk leading the way. You're, you're exactly. thinking of uh, the future with the Wolfpack. What's on yeah, your mind?
1: Just in the general direction, uh, you know, they've been one of those perennial bubble teams, even you know dating all the way back to the beginning of the Godfrey era, uh, it didn't end well with him, but You know, how do they move from that perennial bubble team to the perennial, you know, top 25 uh, tournament team, something like, you know, Florida State. I know you've got to get there before you can become, you know, what we all want them to be as a a contender.
0: Wasn't it interesting? And I I assume you were listening when Coach Keats joined us earlier today. He always has fun with us. He's always just energetic and interesting and cooperative and professional. He said something particularly interesting today, and it was in the context of the Seminoles coming to Raleigh on Saturday. He basically admitted, we want to be at NC State, what Florida State has been under Leonard Hamilton. And for those who don't know that story, Leonard Hamilton actually was the head coach at Florida State for six full seasons without a single NCAA tournament bid. Most of the time, that gets you fired. Now, he had been to four NITs, so he had built – you know, 20-win teams. He just never got to the big dance through six years. Isn't Florida State glad they kept Leonard Hamilton because I think he's, like, been there uh, something like nine of the last 12 after going O oh, for his first six? And the Kevin Keats story has started better than that at NC State. He made, it, he made the big dance in year one, and now he's well-positioned to make it again in year three. But he was talking about following the FSU blueprint in terms of personnel. And every once in a while, somebody will ask me, you know, what's up with the Wolfpack's perimeter defense where a guy like Braxton Beverly is not very tall and not very long? And there have been nights where, I mean, Ryan McMahon of Louisville just took Braxton Beverly behind the woodshed and bludgeoned him with three-pointers. And, you know, what was that, a six-three-point game for Ryan McMahon that everybody knows that's the scouting report The dude's a three-point shooter. It's not that Braxton doesn't try hard. He's a high-effort guy. He's a high-IQ guy. He studied his scouting report. But you're half a step slow, man, and you're not the greatest athlete, and you're not tall, and you don't have long arms. You're half a step behind the guy you're guarding becomes a full step. Well, Florida State, if you look at their roster, they don't have any Braxton Beverlys. And Kevin Keats wants A, Leonard Hamilton's depth, he doesn't have that in NC State right now. He trusts, what, six, seven, eight players, depending on the game. Leonard Hamilton, seriously, has 11 guys averaging 10 or more minutes per game. Now, I didn't have the time to do this research because there's 353 Division I men's basketball teams, but I'm willing to bet you, folks, if you researched all 353, you are not going to find a lot of teams where 11 healthy players average 10 or more minutes per game that is taking depth to a degree heck Jim Bayheim barely uses six guys and Leonard Hamilton regularly uses 11 that's deep and it's a style of player that he likes that fits his pressure defense and his transition defense tall and long there are people like Ken Palm who actually put in numerical form who are the tallest and shortest teams in major college basketball. Do you know who is number one out of 353? Florida State, seriously. Like their average rotation player, their average rotation player is six foot eight. So you got seven footers, of course, others have them, but like even your point guard is fairly tall and your wing players are really tall and really long. Kevin Keats in year three at at NC State doesn't have the depth that Leonard Hamilton has, does not have the length and athleticism that Leonard Hamilton has, but it was a very candid observation and com- and uh, commentary today when he said Florida State is what we're trying to be at NC State. He has a good recruiting class coming in, guys named Josh Hall and Cam Hayes are high school players here in North Carolina who are two high-profile Wolfpack signees who will add to Coach Keith's depth next year. They still have, you know, Braxton Beverly has another year of eligibility. Devin Daniels does. DJ Funderburk does. Jericho Helms is only a sophomore. Manny Bates is only a redshirt freshman, so maybe he can get from a seven or eight man rotation at NC State to a nine or ten man rotation with not only those two star high school guys coming in, but I think three or four others. So there's your depth, and some of these guys are long. Like Manny Bates is a six foot eleven long, lean shot blocker. He wants more of those guys. He does not want to have to play. Remember last year, it was Wyatt Walker as his center. That's not a Florida State-type approach. That's not length. That's not athleticism. That's not jumping ability. So sometimes you sign sign a Braxton Beverly because you like his spirit, you like his effort, you like his three-point shooting ability, but he's not – in your mold of what you want. Same with a guy like Wyatt Walker last year and some others on the team. He's getting closer to where he wants to be. It's a credit to him that in year three, the Wolfpack has a very good chance of making the NCAA tournament. But you can tell. He wants to have that 10-man rotation. He's only at seven or eight. He wants to have long, lean athletes. He has some of them, but not enough of them. And it, you know, the only way to resolve that is is through recruiting in the short-term and the long-term. 1-800-849-2761. Steve wants in on the NFL. John wants in on more college basketball. We're coming right back to your phone calls. And then John Gilbert of ECU in 20 minutes on the David Glenn Show. Coach Lou Holtz is joining us. What can you tell us about those four seasons in Raleigh?
1: Everybody from North Carolina calling us Boo You and Agriculture You. And I remember walking in the press conference saying, I want everybody in the state to understand agriculture is better than no culture.
2: Stay with us on The David Glenn Show.
0: Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. John Gilbert of ECU dropping by to share some details behind some exciting news. It was a horrific story a half century ago when a Marshall football team went down with a chartered jet crash after playing the Pirates in Greenville. The two teams are playing again. They're going to honor the victims and their families this fall. They're no longer conference rivals, remember, so they had to schedule this game With this intent in mind, ECU in the American Athletic Conference, they used to play each other as fellow members of Conference USA. Marshall will visit Greenville this fall, but they get to play All alone on a weekend in late August rather than when the rest of the college football world gets started in early September. It took a special waiver from the NCAA to pull that off. The Pirates just learned they got that waiver. John Gilbert is going to tell us how this story came together. Again, if you saw the movie We Are Marshall with Matthew McConaughey as the star... Uh, of the show you know the details behind this commemorative game 1-800-849-2761 one more guest later more of your calls now John is in Winston-Salem Steve is in Wilmington and you can join us on this happy snow day across North Carolina since the Wolfpack beat the Devils last night let's go to John A lot of basketball is on our mind. Wake lost to Georgia Tech while honoring Dave Odom, Randolph Childress, Tim Duncan, and those 1995 ACC champs. It was a fun night in Winston-Salem, but not the final score. Louisville ended a two-game losing streak in style just crushing Syracuse. UVA beat Boston College. Miami beat Virginia Tech in a three-overtime thriller. But in in our backyard, it was NC State not only beating Duke, just demolishing the Blue Devils, 88-66. to 66. John, welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead with your question or comment. Hey, hey DG, how are you, my man? Doing great. What's on your mind? Uh, I got two questions for you.
3: One is about uh, the ACC, and another one is about uh, the NFL. Um, in terms of NC State beating Duke like they stole something last night, Um, do you think that could have been a good barometer to show that, yeah, the ACC may be down this year, but it is also a whole lot more competitive than it has been?
0: Yes, and and the short answer, and I'll let you go to your second point, is even though it's a disappointing year overall for the ACC, they are used to being the best or one of the best college basketball conferences in America, and most of the computers have them at, like, number four (laughs) among conferences this year. They still will have four NCAA tournament teams, at least, with Virginia looking good beyond the big three Wolfpack has a chance to be number five and if you know not everybody accepts NIT bids but there's another five teams that are good enough to play in the NIT if it comes to that so what I've been saying on national shows that I do all year long if you're worried about the depth or you're criticizing the depth of the ACC in basketball you're correct there are just they're not as many NCAA-worthy teams as there have been in, in other recent years. Again, the average has been eight teams per year over the last four years from the ACC. But what matters most in anything that we cover? Depth does not matter nearly as much as how many potential champions do you have. How many teams are you sending to the big dance that have a chance to make a Final Four run? And the answer for the ACC is three and although four or five NCAA bids is not special at all and is disappointing, if you can send three high seeds, Duke as a possible one, Louisville and Florida State as possible two seeds, show me the league anywhere that may have a lot of depth, but show me the league that has more than three candidates to be the seeds that high. There is no such league. There's not. I like the Big Ten. I like the Big East. I like the Big Twelve. I mean, what's it going to be, number three against number one when Baylor and Kansas get together here shortly? That, that's power at the top, right? But nobody has more than three serious national championship contenders or final four contenders, however you want to put it, and the ACC has three. So by that measuring stick, the ACC is right back where it usually is. Number one when Baylor and, Kansas get and go ahead to your NFL stuff, John.
3: Uh, for my second question, uh, everybody, everybody is under the uh, understanding that the Panthers are going to be rebuilding, hence why uh, Matt Rule got the Seven Year contract. But my main question is the, if it comes down to it and the Panthers aren't winning by the time Christian McCaffrey's contract is up, do you think he's more likely to stay? Yeah. Well, that, out, or do you think he'll sit up there and try to go to a different team, try and get a, and try and be a actual contender to make the playoffs and even the Super
0: Bowl? What's interesting is I'm a big believer in the phrase "timing is everything" in life, and that applies in a lot of different ways. Jobs, you know, when you met your wife or girlfriend, you know, why were we next to each other on that plane when our friendship started or when something else started? Timing can mean a lot in life. The conversations between Christian McCaffrey and the Carolina Panthers are actually happening now before the Panthers ever play a game for Matt Rule. So Christian McCaffrey's representatives, like agents for other running backs, they know it's a dangerous position. Christian McCaffrey is under contract for one more year, but like Todd Gurley of the Rams and others, they don't wait until the end of their deal to talk about the extension and the big dollars that they want given that McCaffrey has been so accomplished. So if you're McCaffrey and your agents are asking for big dollars, you've got to be ready to accept whatever comes your way. Maybe Matt Rule is great, better than expected in year one. Maybe Matt Rule is in the midst of a more serious rebuild. If Christian McCaffrey has any hesitation about that part of this process, well, he doesn't want his agent putting up numbers for the Panthers to extend his deal the way Gurley got that long-term deal with the Rams. I haven't seen or heard anything from McCaffrey or his camp that suggests that, you know, he's going to take a different route because the risk, remember, if you play this one more year as a Carolina Panther under a contract that you already signed, it's your rookie deal, the risk is if you suffer a serious injury at a position where there are a lot of serious injuries, well, then your second deal, which is the one all pro athletes work toward, right, salary caps, And collective bargaining agreements keep the money down for your initial contract, sometimes to a degree, even when you're a high first round draft pick. The second round, the second contract rather, that you sign is something a little closer to like your free market value. And Christian McCaffrey supposedly is talking to the Carolina Panthers, GM Marty Herney, and otherwise, this offseason which means by the time we know what the Panthers look like in 2020, in all likelihood, Christian McCaffrey's already going to have his longer term deal. And at that point, you know he's an asset and the Panthers would have to decide whether they want to keep him or whether they want to trade him in a rebuilding effort or whatever to get assets in return. That's for maybe a year from now. But my guess is the Panthers and the McA- and McCaffreys folks are going to work out a contract here in the shorter-term future. Steve in Wilmington, you're next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead.
1: Hey, David. Happy snowpocalypse.
0: Yeah, right, man. How's the Wilmington area? You guys are not supposed to get snow the way most of the state is. Am I right about that? Thank you, Jesus. No. <laughs> because I'm telling you, man, the, the people who listen to us in the mountains are talking about a lot of snow and they're making fun of the rest of us because they get it all the time. The people That's in the right. triangle are half in panic mode. Uh, school's let out early and and who knows, everybody's leaving work early. So what, what roads are we going to see on the way home today, guys? This is going to be interesting. <laughs> I, I've read that to our east and to our southeast, It's not quite as bad. One more reason that I should be living at the beach right now. What's on your mind, Steve?
1: 17-game schedule. Nobody's really mentioning this. Um, Half the league is going to have one less home game than the other half.
0: This is true. Yes.
1: Now, one one way to remedy that, and it occurred to me as I was thinking about it, is the NFL wants to expand overseas. Why not have every team play one game, overseas, either Mexico, um, England, and London, wherever, and then you have a bye week. So there's your 17
0: weeks. So you would have a full-time NFL team maybe based in London?
1: No, you wouldn't necessarily have to do it. It would be a puzzle that the schedule makers would have to put together, but just have every team in the league right now.
0: um, Oh, I see. I see. So you'd still have eight home. You'd still have eight away. And then you'd have one of these display games on a neutral field, right? And yeah, I see. Future,
1: if the future, in the future, if a, the league wants to expand to, let's just say Raleigh, um, running, a, they've got a bank of games that they could put in Raleigh to see how much support it gets.
0: What's your work background in, Steve? I like the way your wheels are turning. What, <laughs> uh, what do you? Th- you don't have to share if you don't want to. But what, uh, what helps pay your bills? I'm in sales. Aha, uh-huh. maybe there's a marketing major in there somewhere as well. I really like the idea because it solves a lot of problems, right? There is a competitive disadvantage. If, if this new collective bargaining agreement proposal does go all the way through, of course you don't want to be the team that has eight home games and nine road games. It, it's a disadvantage. Of course it is. And, you know, they would flip-flop years, I'm sure. So the year after you have eight home, you would have nine at home. But one alternative to that approach Would be what Steve is suggesting. One, you know, more than one game in Mexico City, more than one game in London. Do any of our friends to the north in Canada, would they, I know they have the CFL, would they like to host an NFL game from time to time? What about other American cities? What if we wanted to host one at Carter-Finley Stadium in Raleigh? We know Boo Corrigan. If the Canes can cut a deal with the Wolfpack folks for an outdoor hockey game, we can figure out a way to get an NFL game at Carter-Finley, right? So some of them would be American neutral sites. Some would help the NFL's very clear stated goal of expanding the NFL's global presence. I don't know how many other countries would be up for that, but we've already had a World League of American Football, right? So there are some venues that could handle the NFL. I like the way his wheels are turning. So you'd have eight home games every year, as has been the case, eight road games every year, as has been the case, and then your 17th game, it would take a heck of a computer to process all of this, but everybody would have one neutral
2: site game. I like it too because it's not – Perfect math, but if you think about it, two teams involved in every one of these games, 32 NFL teams, I mean, roughly, you could have one of these neutral site games every week. Close to it. I mean, again, it's not exactly perfect. And if Mexico
0: City sells out the one
2: that it gets, you know,
0: we're all smart enough to put some math together on supply and demand. (laughs) You know, if Mexico City sold out this quickly for this game, could they host two a year? And if London, which I know has really been uh, very receptive of NFL football, maybe they could sell out one game a month. So now we need we need 16 neutral sites, right? Three in London, maybe two to three in Mexico City. Uh, maybe we make friends north of the border, have a couple up there. Maybe we pick other American cities that don't have the NFL, expanding the brand a little bit. I like the idea, man. We'll pass that along to Roger Goodell, Steve, on the other side. ECU's athletic director John Gilbert is going to join us. You've all seen Matthew McConaughey in the movie We Are Marshall. We've even played audio and awarded prizes for those who recognize such audio in a game we play every summer here at the David Glenn Show. Well, Marshall and ECU had gotten together in football 50 years ago prior to that tragic plane crash that led to that movie, among other things, We Are Marshall. ECU had a great idea. Let's honor the victims and their families. Let's remember that game, but in the right ways and for the right reasons, and let's do it in a true national spotlight. They needed an NCAA waiver to get to play Marshall later this year at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium at a time on the calendar when basically the stage will be their own. It's an August 29th game now instead of just another September game because the ECU waiver was approved by the NCAA. How did they put this together? Who's going to play Matthew McConaughey in this movie? No, just kidding. John Gilbert, ECU Athletic Director, next on The David Glenn Show.
1: I don't want
4: those damn Dookies rooting for us. They've hated all year long. Let them go right on hating. If the situation were reversed, I would hope they would lose by 100. You're in fantasy land if you ever
1: think MC State's going to make it back to the National Championship game. So just forget that right now. Go to hell, Carolina. Go to hell.
2: Keeping the peace in NC on the David Glenn Show.
0: Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Almost 50 years ago. A tragedy happened in college football. 75 people died when a plane carrying the Marshall football team and related personnel crashed after the Thundering Herd had played ECU in a football game. Our next guest is the current ECU athletic director. He had to navigate some complicated waters. Asking the NCAA for a waiver or an exemption in most contexts can be headache-inducing. But John Gilbert and his staff at ECU got this done and just earlier today the news leaked that ECU's waiver was approved by the NCAA and when the Pirates and the Thundering Herd have this game honoring victims and their families from that accident uh, 50 years ago, uh, they get to move this game to a special place on the calendar and we'll talk to John about the rest of these details. Welcome to the David Glenn Show, John. How are you? i um, excellent thanks for having me it's great to have you uh, it can be a little bit nervous when you need to nerve-wracking when you ask for a, an exemption about anything from the NCAA uh, what all went into this idea and uh, what did it take to get this done you guys will have a, an August 29th game in a national spotlight rather than just a, another September game like everybody else
4: well, it's an exciting thing for, for both institutions. I, I think the exposure that we'll be able to bring to that 1970 Marshall team uh, will, will be special for eastern North Carolina and in our communities. It, it was a process where when we started talking about the idea, we knew that uh, if the game stayed exactly where it was scheduled, that it would be on a... You know, streaming type broadcasts on, on you know ESPN Plus or ESPN Three, and and so we started discussing you know what if we moved it to week zero, you know, given the celebration uh, of, of that Marshall team, and, and after we talked to both the conference office, to ESPN, uh, to Marshall, uh, everybody was in agreement that you know, if we were able to get the waiver that one of the ESPN channels would pick the game up. And that really was the impetus for moving the game. We wanted to make sure that if we, if we went down that path and submitted that waiver, that, that there was justification that we could get enhanced exposure for this, you know, 1970 Marshall team by doing that. We were fortunate enough the way the process works it goes to the football oversight committee, uh, and then once the football oversight committee, uh, you know, hears the the waiver, then it goes back to the NCA for the final approval. We had a lot of people that obviously worked on this. Our compliance staff uh, submitted the waiver. Mike Hamrick at Marshall. Um, was very supportive, our conference office, and then ESPN. So it really was a group effort to make this work.
0: John Gilbert is joining us on the David Glenn Show. He's been ECU's AD since December of 2018. He worked at Alabama and Tennessee in the SEC. He was previously the athletic director at Southern Miss. He's here to elaborate on the big news of earlier today. It will be now August 29th at Dowdy Ficklin Stadium, the Pirates hosting Marshall in this commemorative game uh, honoring the tragedy of 50 years ago and, of course, those victims and their families. I've been around long enough to know that Mike Hamrick, Marshall AD, a long time ago was kind of in your shoes as the ECU Athletic Director. Given that it was the Marshall players and staff who died in that horrible plane crash, of course – I'm sure you at ECU would be incredibly deferential toward how Marshall wanted to handle things. How did those conversations go with Mike Hamrick? Because, in a sense, this is a celebration of a memory, but in another sense, this is, you know, remembering something that was truly tragic.
4: Well, two two things I would say are number one, you know, Mike was exceptional through this process. Mike uh, is a formal Marshall football player, but he also was. The athletic director here at east carolina mike and i worked together you know when i was at southern miss and mike was at marshall yeah obviously we're in the same league so i had a pre-existing relationship uh with mike and, and then uh, you know the the other thing that we have talked about is i, I want to make sure that we do this in the right way and so i would anticipate you know over the next month to six weeks at some point Uh, I'd like to get a group of ECU uh, athletic staff people that will actually run the game on game day to to go to Marshall and spend a day there to talk with them about how we best honor, what are some things we can do, because to your point, uh, you know, this is really about them and their team. We certainly played a part because we played them that day, and I do think that it deeply affected this community because I talk to uh, people all the time that were either at that game, participated in the game, or were affected by the game. And so I do think that our two communities are forever linked but I want to make sure that we celebrate this uh, in the best way possible.
0: And for those who don't know, it was really a joint effort, as John is describing here. Uh, Marshall participated in the waiver letter submitted by ECU. There were even biographies of all the people who lost their lives in the crash from 50 years ago so biographies of media members and university boosters and of course the players and coaches but team doctors and athletic administrators it really was an amazing joint effort by Marshall and ECU as they now look forward to play each other on August 29th kind of a spotlight game on one of the ESPN channels as John Gilbert said Uh, the first thing that came to my mind from a coach's perspective John was that whether it's your Mike Houston or anybody else they're going to say well wait a minute I got to play a game a week earlier what about practice so part of this waiver was what allowing you all your teams to start practice earlier than everybody else right since you're starting the season before everybody else C-
4: correct and 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 the way the waiver works is we get uh 7 days to to come in earlier than than everyone else uh, however based on that waiver being uh passed we have to take an additional seven days off throughout the season to make up for uh, that early practice time. So I've talked to Coach Houston before we uh, formalized the waiver to make sure he understood, you know, all the ramifications. So, you know, instead of taking, you know, maybe one day off a week, there there may be a week or two where we're taking two days off or uh, now with playing the game on the 29th, We'll have uh, the Labor Day weekend. We'll we'll not have a game that weekend. And so there'll be ample time to, to get those days back. Uh, to get even with uh, NCAA rules.
0: I know you have other commitments here shortly, so be as uh, short or take as long on this as you want. But given that we did miss your one-year anniversary as the athletic director at ECU, how would you summarize, you know, it's a little bit more than a year now, maybe what you know now, what you love now about Pirate Nation uh, that uh, you knew some about but probably didn't entirely know on the day that you were introduced a little bit more than a year ago?
4: Well, first, I would say it's a wonderful community to live in. Like, I I really do love eastern North Carolina. My family loves it here. You know, so good that, you know, at different times during different visits, both my parents and my mother-in-law both said they wanted to move here. And obviously I told them to tap the brakes on that just (laughs) a little bit. but, But it really is a great place to live. We've got great people. Uh, I've gained about 10 pounds. I can't shake, uh, you know, Eastern North Carolina barbecue and pimento cheese, uh, you know, two of my favorites. And and so I'm a little heavier, but, but I would say that I I feel really good about the culture in our building. Uh, people are enjoying coming to work. We've got a lot of heavy lifting to do, uh, but I would tell you that we, we have got a good culture in our building and we've got a great group of coaches uh, that are pulling in the right direction. And I do believe we are going to be successful
1: here.
0: I really ask those questions on behalf of our audience because uh, I forget if I've been able to communicate this to you. I only have two children. My son, Anthony, is a junior at ECU as we speak, and my daughter, Avery, who is a high school senior, has ECU among her finalists. So we in the Glenn family are highly educated and deeply invested in the community that you just described quite well there. Uh, Thanks for squeezing us in on a special day here at the David Glenn Show, uh, and congratulations on getting this done. Uh, We look forward to bringing our big tailgate tour and, and visiting Greenville, of course, for family reasons, but also show reasons this fall and beyond. Look forward to seeing you, and uh, go Pirates. Thanks very much. ECU Athletic Director John Gilbert, a little bit more than a year on that job, and that is uh, it's important to hire coaches, of course. It's important to fundraise. It's important to do a lot of other things in an athletic director's role. This was just kind of a, a neat off-to-the-side thing. Waivers are often tricky to get. This 50-year anniversary was worth commemorating. I'm glad that Marshall and ECU, oddly enough, former ECU Athletic Director Mike Hamrick, now the AD at Marshall, works with the relatively new AD, John Gilbert, at ECU. They get the waiver. They get the cooperation of ESPN. And really, on August 29th, there's going to be a very, very short list of college football action. It is week zero. They may not be the only game, but it is a short list of games. So ECU and Marshall and reflections on that story. I wonder if Matthew McConaughey or the folks who made the movie or the documentaries will get involved. Uh, It'll have the proper spotlight because of what John Gilbert and his staff were able to pull off at ECU as that news broke a little bit earlier today. Appreciate him dropping by. Thanks to Kevin Keats of NC State for dropping by in the immediate aftermath of the Wolfpack's big win over Duke last night. That's how it happens here. Darren Vault, what are some of your great success stories? Webb Simpson wins the U.S. Open in golf joins us on the statewide David Glenn Show in the immediate aftermath. I believe that was a
2: Hayes-Permar production. Uh, Kurt Busch wins the Daytona 500. Goes out and parties Parties all night with Rob Gronkowski and then comes on. Was that a Monday visit? Yeah. He won on Sunday and visited (laughs) us on Monday. He actually... Fun story about that one. He was scheduled originally to record early in the morning as we pull That's back right, the curtain. and he pushed back. And he That's pushed right. back to a live <laughs> visit rather than recording at 8 a.m. because he had been out partying with Gronk.
0: Oh, I love it. Brooklyn Decker took in a Duke ECU game at Cameron, the lovely and talented actress and supermodel. She joined us uh, to discuss her maiden voyage, if you will. Catching them right out of the action, man. Kevin Keats and John Gilbert in the headlines today and dropping by our show today. 1-800-849-2761. We do have a final call for phone calls as we come down the stretch on the other side. I have final thoughts. I have TV picks. That's next on the David Glenn Show.
1: The great difference between sport and capital E entertainment and capital S sport is that we don't know
0: the outcome and that feeling
1: of uncertainty positively or negatively is
0: unique. We are quoting Bob Ryan the way I would quote, you know, Aristotle or
2: Confucius. You're listening to the David Glenn show.
0: Welcome back to the David Glenn show. Last call for phone calls as we are coming down the stretch on today's program. We will remind you of your TV picks for this evening, which do include, remember, the resumption of the NBA's regular season. Long All-Star break. There's a TNT doubleheader tonight. Two of the best teams in the NBA are involved, although they're not playing each other. The Hornets are in Chicago. Philly hosts Brooklyn. In the early game on TNT, Houston visits the lowly Golden State Warriors. Last I saw, dead last in the NBA standings, which means you have a good shot at a very high draft pick despite recent runs to NBA Finals series and multiple NBA titles for Golden State. Those are among your TV options this evening. More on the rest of those in just a second. David Ortiz has chimed in on the Houston Astros scandal as Little League Baseball commissioners in some states are removing the option of using Astros as a nickname. Yes, that is happening not everywhere, but in many places, our kids emulate and idolize Major League Baseball players, what said one Little League commissioner. I don't think we as an organization should be idolizing teams that decided not to play by the rules. The Houston Astros in 2017 while winning the World Series, of course, were breaking those very crystal clear rules against sign stealing with the use of technology. For Little League International, based in Williamsport, PA, this is a local decision. They are not going to have a nationwide blanket rule. If your local authority wants to allow people to use Astros, great. If not that is okay with them as well. Again, it's a relatively small number at this point, but in some locales, you are not allowed to have Astros as a Little League nickname this year. Well, David Ortiz chimed in, not exactly with the snitches-get-stitches approach to such things, but he did mention that former Astros pitcher Mike Fires, who was the first to put his name, remember, on the allegations of the sign-stealing scandal for the Astros, Mike fires more recently with the Oakland A's, David Ortiz was not necessarily making the mafia-type statement, snitches get stitches. He was more saying what we discussed a while back related to the Astros scandal. He said, why didn't somebody, Ortiz, the retired Boston Red Sox legend and a leader in the clubhouse for sure with the Red Sox and others, He wasn't as upset that Fires talked about it later. He was more upset that Fires and nobody else on the Astros roster stood up and talked about it in the moment. And this goes back to what I've said regarding this scandal many times. The majority of people that I know personally and know well are good people. Far more than not would make the right decisions themselves. But when it comes to the next level, telling those immediately around you that what they're doing is not okay. That is confrontational by nature. The majority of good people that I know are not confrontational by nature. And you could argue they're enabling wrongdoing, they're encouraging wrongdoing by just kind of turning a blind eye and not saying anything about it. Everybody has to make that decision for himself or herself. But Ortiz said earlier today, I'm mad. After you make your money and after you get your ring, you decide to talk about these things, why don't you talk about it during the season when it was going on? Why didn't you say, I don't want to be a part of this? So now you look like a snitch. Why you got to talk about it after? That's my problem. Why nobody said anything while it was going on. Ortiz added, the Houston Astros, I know they put themselves in a situation, and I just still don't know how come nobody was like this is wrong I just don't know how no one says something about it during not after I was in the clubhouse for a long time and never did anything like that come up now they're going to have to deal with that for a long time because it's not only a situation that involves players you're talking about a whole franchise I haven't seen the way the media how everyone is approaching the Houston Astros I just have not seen that that is the difference between David Ortiz. Can you picture him hesitating to say something about something that was bothering him? You're a Red Sox fan. Yeah. Now I'm, I assume Ortiz was gone by the time the Red Sox were following in the footsteps of the lying, cheating Astros. Your Red Sox haven't punished yet. No, I would assume yet. so.
2: I would assume so. I would also I I would push back a little bit on Big Poppy there in that he played with a lot of different teammates throughout the steroid era. And, I mean, there's reason to believe he would have known things were happening and we never heard anything out of him then.
0: For sure, that is one of your teammates helping your team indirectly. And I guess everybody draws these lines in different places. Yeah, and that's not a
2: team-organized or team-sanctioned thing. It's not a team-organized, team-sanctioned, yeah.
0: sign-stealing with the use of staff and technology and garbage cans and the rest of that. So I'm not apologizing for either. I mean, you know me well. I'm just obnoxious enough to stand up and yell at all of them. I just am not, I'm not all that tied to how much people like me for when I tell them they're doing things outrageously wrong. I just, I don't know. I was dropped as a child. I just didn't get that gene passed along from previous generations. But I know it's not easy because I've done it enough in my life in sports, in business, in politics, and otherwise. And folks who are in the wrong tend to get upset at you for telling you them that they are in the wrong, even when they know they are in the wrong. People just don't like it. Big Poppy chiming in on the scandal. TV picks led by the NBA, a little NHL as well. Enjoy the games. We'll see you tomorrow. Mr. President Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me.
3: The David Glenn Show.